The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, with that, let's open our Bibles quickly to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. And I want to finish, kind of this is the part two of the message I shared three weeks ago, if you weren't here, but this is, the title of the message is, We Must Confess. And these are the words of Jesus. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And now I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that this, these are your words. And I pray that your word would burn like fire. May the word of God and your words, these particular words, this exact message, burn like fire in every mind and within the ears of every listener. Lord, within the hearts of all those who hear it, may it burn away lies and wood, hay, stubble. Lord, let it purify the gold and the silver and let it bear fruit and salvation. And we ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, uh, whoops, I didn't mean to do that. Okay, so I want a quick review from the last time we shared. Let us speak peace and pray into the pain and brokenness of others. Basically, Jesus uh, is addressing the disciples. He's been doing all of the teaching, all of the preaching, all of the miracles and healings. Now we're at a turning point in his ministry. He pulls his disciples together and goes, okay, things are going to change now. Now I'm sending you to go share what you've heard me teach you. And I'm asking you to begin to do what you've seen me do. I want you to lay hands on the sick. I want you to pray for them. I want through you miracles to happen and for a deliverance to take place. And I want you to proclaim peace into every neighborhood there and begin ministering uh, to the pain and the brokenness of others. So Jesus, our goal is to be like Jesus. We bring, we're to bring into our homes peace. Just as Jesus proclaimed peace on the Sea of Galilee in the face of storms, every believer in Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit has the power of Jesus' name, the authority of Jesus' name to speak peace into whatever storms may be happening in your home, your marriage, your kids, uh, your neighborhood, your community, a school, where you work, we are to proclaim peace. We bring the gospel, gospel means good news, but over and over again it is not just merely called the gospel of the good news, it's called the gospel of peace. How many of you would agree the world is not a very peaceful place right now? They need, there's a lot of storms. We are the ones who now go into the culture and into the world and into this generation and we preach and proclaim and prophesy peace. But then we have to do something more. We have to listen to people. We have to, to get to know people and love people and that means listening to them. Listening is one of the most powerful ways of loving people. Jesus was a master listener and he would ask questions. What can I do for you? Now, what's amazing is it always seemed kind of obvious. Here's a blind guy. Jesus would say, what do you want me to do for you? 
I want to see. A lame guy. What can I do for you? I thought, I want to walk. Why did he ask the question? Because there's something powerful about someone verbalizing their pain and their brokenness. And then when you respond and speak love and peace and healing and release the spirit into it, that can awaken their soul so that they're ready to be saved and hear the whole gospel and receive it. So that's the the quick little review I wanted to do there. Now let's pick up where we left off. And this is our life lesson for verses 32 and 33. Every believer must confess Jesus publicly. So here's how Jesus describes it in verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. That sounds good. Then verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We must confess Jesus and we must do so publicly. If we will not publicly come forward that, you know, to our family and our friends, I'm a lover and follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I am loyal to him and him alone as my Savior. If we're not loyal to him publicly on earth, we cannot expect him to be public or loyal to us before his Father and the angels in heaven. It's interesting, everyone that Jesus called in the Bible, he called publicly. There is no such thing as a secret believer, at least in the permanent sense. So our lives, what Jesus is saying is our lives should supply enough evidence that can be seen by the world that we are followers of Christ. If you were arrested for the crime of following Jesus, would charges be dropped for lack of evidence? Or is there enough evidence in your life that, yep, he's a follower, she's a believer, they love Jesus? If you are in any way embarrassed of him on earth, he will be embarrassed of you before his Father and the angels in heaven. Now, this is a warning. And and to people that can talk about Jesus, uh, they can speak to the issues of Jesus, but it's in a superficial way. They don't really mean it personally. It's not that they necessarily think Jesus is a devil or bad, but they, they, they speak of him in a surface level. It's superficial. It's not personal. So therefore, I want to go to the next life lesson out of these very, very important words of the Lord. Jesus gives us a warning with eternal consequences. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, the same gospel earlier, this is how he said it. Let's read uh, these verses out loud. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers." Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me. That terrifies me. And in fact, I recently heard the testimony of a man that was a pastor, or at least he was a part-time pastor, and he got in some accident, and he had a near-death experience. So like he, he said, man, my spirit was gone, and I'm going through this weird tunnel, and there's darkness, and the enemy is whispering stuff, just give up and die. 
and go into the darkness. And then I go up and there's these, the, I saw the gates of heaven and he said, I, he goes, it, I'd never seen the gates. I could not see the tops of the gates of heaven. They were so high and I couldn't get in. I was a pastor and I'm talking about, man, I did this and I did all outreaches and I fed the poor and, and, and there's voices saying, yeah, but you didn't personalize it. He says, what? Anyway, he ends up coming back and he comes back and man, that guy, that guy's life changed overnight. Everything was personal for him from that moment forward. I want to, so let me speak directly this morning. This is not based on my opinion or what I think or how I feel. I'm basing this on what Jesus said in Matthew 7, and then now what are you saying again here in Matthew chapter 10? There are people here at church, and maybe they come regularly, who give to the ministry. They think, you know, it's a good group of people. They talk about God and good things and love and joy and peace, and they help kids you know, with the little shoe boxes around the world, and they do some good stuff, and I've, I've, even, I've given to it. I go and listen. I think Pastor Ray is interesting most of the time. I, you know, anyway, I argue sometimes, but... And they fulfill re- certain religious duties. But you are not going to heaven. You're not on your way to heaven. And I want to warn you, and I, I, I pray that, I, you know, not for me, but I want to put the fear of God and eternal consequences that if you're hearing this message, you've been warned, you've been told, you can't leave everything out here superficially. It's got to be personal. And it doesn't matter how many good works and how many good deeds you do, even spiritual deeds, if you don't know Him. If Jesus says, yeah, all that stuff was cool, but you and me, I don't know you. So you need to know the Lord. We need to know Jesus. We need to personalize it. Uh, It's staggering that Jesus is claiming for all of human history, for every human being from the beginning to the very, very end, Jesus is saying, I am the only one that you will stand before and I am the judge of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every nation for all time. A day called the day of judgment where you will come before him. And we don't get to go up in groups or, or with our friends or with your buddies or a group or a clique. It's you alone on the day of judgment. And there are those who speak like angels, live like devils. They have Jacob's smooth tongue, but inside they have Esau's selfish, fleshly heart, and they will not enter into the gates of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, let's go to the next life lesson. Christ makes everyone decide, and you will live with whatever you decide for eternity. So think long and hard about it. Either you're for him or you're against him. There is no middle ground. Jesus did not leave us the option for people to say, well, I think that he was an amazing, maybe even the best human being that ever lived, and he did good, and I even think he did some miracles, stuff that we don't understand. He was super spiritual and all that. Not good enough. The dividing line between those who accept Jesus and those who reject him will even run through families. So listen to this, beginning in verse 34. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Let me give a quick word on that. Ultimately, yes, he's going to bring peace. He is the prince of peace. But there's two phases of the coming 
of the Messiah. There's the first time, then there's the second time. The first time he came, he came to die. The whole purpose of him leaving heaven and being born of a virgin and growing up in Nazareth and then teaching and healing and all of that was ultimately so that he would, as it was predicted, as it was prophesied, which shows that it's God, he would die on a cross and pay for the sins of the world. And on the third day, he would prove who he was by resurrecting from the dead. So the first time he came, he brings a sword. That sword is still with us today. It divides families, and, and it, it goes right through the middle. The second coming, he's coming to bring peace. He, it's going to break out on all the earth, and he will rule and reign. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The sword Jesus speaks of sometimes cuts through family ties. But I want to say this. You know, a lot of people say, well, look, if my family, if my husband believes, then I'll believe. If my wife will believe, then I'll believe. If I can get my kids with me, then, or if our tribe or our clan, no. It's an individual decision. You know, uh, I do travel. I've traveled uh, a lot. And so when you get into the airplane, you get in your seat, and you're getting ready for this long flight, especially when you're going to Israel, and they give the same little speech every time, you know, the stewards come out and, and they go, you know, buckle up and you do this and click that. And, and then if we should get turbulence, uh, things just rocking around, there's this little thing that'll drop. So you take that, you pull that over your head. And then if you have a little one sitting next to you, do you know what they say? They teach you. Look, usually you think, wow, I, I got I to gotta put this over, you know, little Billy or little Mary here and my child. You, your instinct is to do them first. Guess what they tell you? Don't do that. The first thing you do, even if you have a small child sitting at your right or on your left, you grab your mask quickly and you pull that over your head first. Then you take care of your child. Why? Because the danger is while the plane's jostling around and you're trying to fix them and can't get there, you pass out and both of you are lost. So the priority is you got to get squared away so that you have the strength and the ability to save the one next to you. That's, I believe, what Jesus is saying here. You can't wait for other people. You got to strap on salvation. You got to get the oxygen of salvation going into your own lungs and then you can save others. I'm waiting because a few people were clapping, but I don't know if it's connecting or anything. But so now let me also say this. If you wait, then nobody makes a move. Maybe nothing happens. But let me say this. The first one to break away from the strongholds and the curses and the demonic and the darkness of the past, first one to break out, go, whoo, man, I am filled. I'm saved. And there's a light on you and there's spirit in you. And, and that's when other family members go, man, I want me some of that. It could open the way for others. So you be the first one. The ancient cross. Jesus says you got to take your cross. We must follow Jesus even to the point of taking our own cross. Very simply, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
dying to yourself, dying to self and our selfish inclinations. Our, our flesh screams and demands things that are ungodly and unrighteous and unholy. We're not to live after the flesh anymore, but we're now living after the things of the Spirit to honor Him and to obey Him and His Word. The ancient Roman cross did not negotiate. It did not compromise. It did not make deals. There was no looking back once you take up your cross. Your only hope is in resurrection life. And that's what Jesus offers to you and me. When you become a disciple, you are saying, look, the enemy wants to give you a placebo through drugs and sex and whatever other kinds of filth or whatever to, to make you feel good for a moment and then make sure you never get filled with the spirit of eternal life and salvation. You have to carry your cross, whatever it is, and die to that and not give in to that so that you can be filled with life. I think it's very interesting. This is the first mention of the cross in the entire Gospel of Matthew, right here. And it's not even speaking of Jesus on the cross or his own crucifixion. The first time cross is mentioned in Matthew, it's talking about our cross and that we're willing to die to the things of the world. What an extreme statement that Jesus makes right from the get-go. He likens discipleship with crucifixion, and that must have been absolutely jarring to them, but it's very, very true because it's not only the flesh that gets its hooks in you and robs you and will destroy you and crush you, but then the darkness of the demonic lands on top of it. And again, I think maybe Sean referred to this in the message from Job, but recently we've had two high-profile people, one an older man, one a young lady who had everything, money and fame and, you know, everything you think that would make you happy, and yet they snuffed or took their lives away from them because there is no fulfillment in what, the, what everybody is trying to get from the world. That's why Jesus said, be dead to that so you can be alive to me. I will fill you with love and joy and peace and my spirit and fruit and eternal life. Now, what's interesting is that when the Roman general Varus had broken the revolt of Judas in Galilee, this is in 4 BC, he crucified a, a 2,000 Jews and placed the crosses by the wayside along the roads to Galilee. So when the disciples heard Jesus say crosses, they'd already seen them, and they knew exactly what he was talking about. And some of those very disciples went to their own crosses, even after Jesus, saying, no, I am follower and lover and identified with Jesus. All right, look with me in verses 40 through 42. This is kind of the last uh, life lesson here from the verses. But in, in verse 40, it says, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. What Jesus is saying is that we can share the reward of God's servants by supporting them in their work. Jesus said, you're my representatives. If somebody comes up to you and, and does something so little, even a poor person could walk up and give you a cup of cold water. He goes, I'm going to notice it. 
and you're going to get rewarded for all of eternity. Because if they bless you, even in a small, tiny little way, I'm going to reward it for all time and eternity. Even the smallest, seemingly most insignificant act of kindness, such as a cup of cold water, performed by God's people will be remembered and rewarded for all time and eternity. That should be a very encouraging thing for all of us. Amen? So every little thing you do counts. Everything you do makes a difference. And we will spend eternity enjoying, hopefully, the rewards of what we've done there. Okay, I want to just close with just a couple of quick minutes on, this is part two of what I shared three weeks ago, things Jesus didn't say. But these are things people say all the time that they kind of think either he said or that this is kind of the way it is, and it isn't. All right, number one, Jesus never said, church really isn't that important. He never said that. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this. Let's read it out loud. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's like having coals where there's fire. But if you take your tongs, you go into one of those burning coals, you remove it from the fire, and you put it over here by itself, what happens? That coal grows cold. That's what happens to a believer. you got to be in the midst. Jesus said, I'm with, even if two or three, I'll be there in the midst of you. That's where there's fire burning, and that's where the glory of the Lord is. So church is important. Another thing Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are more passionate about politics than their faith. He never said that. And right now, you know, in my lifetime, this may be the most radically political, divided times uh, that people have ever had in their lives. So I'm going to just be point blank about it, and I'm going to put it like this. Jesus is not a Republican. (laughs) Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a socialist. If you want to write something down, you write this down. You want to talk politics and Jesus? Write down this verse, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The only politics he's about is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be burning and passionate about that more than all the rest of it. Man, you guys okay? All right, you feel me? All right, so let's go to the next one. Embracing all faiths is Christ-like. No, it's not, and Jesus never said that. Read with me Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. It doesn't get any stronger than this. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And the Bible's full of blessings, but there's a few zinger curses. And believe me, you do not want to be on the receiving end of a curse from the throne of God or the Word of God. There is no other way than through Him. And so let us be about that gospel. Now here's another one. Jesus never said, I will let you into heaven as long as you are a good person. How many of you have heard somebody say that, though? Well, I think, you know, as long as you're a good person... No, Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, let's read this out loud. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, I remember back in the day, there was this guy that came up to me, you know, was, uh, maybe in the 70s, and he's like, well, man, you know, it's like this, bro. <laughs> Religions are like the spokes of a wheel that go all the way around 360 degrees, but they all come into the same hub. That's what I think, man. So I'm like, okay. I said, you know, that's interesting. I said, there's only one problem with it. He goes, yeah, what's that? I said, it ain't true. He goes, well, are you saying how can everybody, man, all these cultures and people and different backgrounds, man, they all got to go the same way? I said, yeah. He says, explain it to me. And I said, well, it's kind of like this. How many people on the planet? Okay, six, seven billion. I said, every different color, background, creed, culture, and, you know, billions. I said, how did all six or seven billion people experience life on planet Earth? I said, there's only one way. The only way, the one way that you can experience life as a human being on planet Earth, you got to be born into it. There's no other way. Jesus said there's another realm. It's called heaven and the kingdom of God. And for all people, there's only one way in. you got to be born into it or born again or born of the Spirit. It's the same for everybody, but the variety is still there once you land. Amen? Amen. All right. So... I'll leave you with the last one. It's your body. Do what you want with it. Man, Jesus did not say that. Read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, I think this is a very important point to make. You don't own you. Jesus, salvation is not just that he gave you, you know, happiness for forever. He, he saved you. How did he save you? He died for you. He, he was crucified for you. His body was broken for you. His blood shed for you. He paid with his life. And he bought your salvation, and he owns you. Now, all he wants to do is love you and bless you, and he's got plans for you for all of eternity, but you're not your own. He owns you. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than to be owned by the creator of the universe and let him just fill you with the light of his glory and love. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.